mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is it normal to feel really horny? Is it normal for your ankles to swell up? Is it normal to be incredibly out of breath? Is it normal that my nipples hurt so much? Is it normal to be obsessed with bechamel sauce? Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. This podcast follows my pregnancy journey and in each episode I speak to different experts about common concerns and symptoms and we find out what is happening with our bodies and babies at each stage of the pregnancy. As we gear up to the big day, these third trimester episodes focus on what we can be doing to prepare for the birth. We're now at week 36, and if you haven't already, it's time to start making your birth plan and getting that hospital bag packed. You'll probably be getting a midwife appointment, which you will be discussing your birth plan with. So hopefully this episode will help you feel enabled and equipped to go to your midwife appointment and feel like you have as much knowledge as possible to make that decision for yourself about how you want to have your birth. I haven't made a birth plan yet, and I haven't got my hospital bag packed. Some of you will have had your hospital bag packed for weeks and some of you will already know kind of what your birth plan is. Hopefully this episode will either confirm that or give you a few other options that maybe you want to cram in to that birth plan. Our regular midwife, Izzy Borton, is here to help and advise. And we are also joined by Sophie Hiscock. She's a midwife, a mum, an antenatal teacher extraordinaire, hypnobirthing teacher uh, I could go on. She's passionate about informed decision making. So is here to make sure we are well and truly informed. Sophie and Izzy, thank you for joining us for week 36 of Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast. It's lovely to meet you, Sophie. Should we get straight to it and focus this episode on the birth plan? Sounds good. Let's go for it. So firstly, what is a birth plan? So... A birth plan or birth preferences for me is laying out all of your options, preferably on paper, something that you can hand to your midwife or doctors so that they are aware of what your preferences are in any given situation. It's not a, this is my plan A, and if this doesn't happen, then it kind of all goes out the window. And it also isn't a kind of document to hand over and then to forget all about, if that makes sense. It's also for you to have gone through all your options antenatally so that you know how to advocate for yourself in any given situation. And I guess it's important for your birth partner, if you do have a birth partner, to hmm. be doing the advocating on the old yeah. D-Day because you may be in the zone or unable to kind of 
be able to advocate kind of you know you may be focusing else your your attention elsewhere than a piece of paper that says that you'd like a birth pool and and aromatherapies on so so what are the kind of things that should be on that birth preference piece of paper that birth plan so for me it's kind of all the different options so going through all your different preferences for a vaginal birth for if there's like a plan b if you're having an induction if you're um offered an assisted delivery if you had an emergency cesarean for me it's a it's something that covers all your preferences and in those different situations and how you know you know yourself as a person how you think you're going to respond during labor what kind of pain relief you would like whether you want to have sort of prepared some massage techniques with your partner, whether you want to be active, whether you want an epidural, whether you want to have sort of vaginal examinations or how how um, you want them to monitor baby in labour, where you want to give birth, what you want your birth environment to be like, all kind of things like that, how you want to boost your oxytocin. And definitely agree that it should be something that's written or kind of discussed with your birth partner whoever they are because they are probably doing the advocating yeah I think that's a really good point is that it's almost so much about the process of the planning and thinking about your preferences it is about having this final piece of paper um, because in the process of Mm. thinking about all these different options hopefully that's something you're doing with whoever's going to be supporting you in labour um and it's then also like you said Jesse, that they're able to understand what's important to you and so it's the kind of process of writing the birth plan is really helpful and then actually having that preference list at the end of it as well how much do midwives actually get the chance to look at that birth plan because you know things can change and things can change very quickly and rapidly um is it quite often that you will be like have you got your birth plan with you on this I get um, this is what I'm talking about in labor and because you know let's for instance say that the couple are meeting midwives they've never met before you know none of their midwives have been in any of their kind of you know their, their, their clinics are on that night or day when they're giving birth is it very common for you to go is that kind of that your first thing that you'll ask the birth partner to just kind of say can I can I have a look at your birth plan do you have one I mean I think it's definitely something we should all be doing as midwives and I think you've picked up on a kind of key point there is that for some women they might know their midwife um that's caring for them in labor for but for the majority of women and birthing people they're not going to know the person caring for them in labor so I think even more so having an idea of your preferences that you can share with that person when you're in labour is really important and I definitely think it's something we should be prioritising as midwives. When I spoke to my midwife at my 36 week appointment which is kind of what we're prepping everyone for this discussion that comes up usually at 36 weeks with your midwife they were asking me questions like that I guess they had a kind of checklist so I haven't written a birth plan yet, but I guess they were kind of taking notes so they understood. And I don't know whether that's different because I'm having a home birth or whether that would be the case in any clinic that they have almost like a rough guide of your birth plan through having that discussion at 36 weeks. Um, But they were asking things about whether I wanted to have skin to skin uh, contact there was the option of how long I wanted the umbilical cord to until it was clamped. 
Um, can you explain some of the options that are there to be discussed with your midwife? So I think something that comes up pretty often is vaginal examinations, whether you want them, uh, if you are happy to have them, at what point during labour do you want to sort of be having them every four hours? Do you um, just want one before you like get in the pool, if that's what you want, or if you're feeling the urge to push to confirm sort of how dilated your cervix is? Do you, do you want to have them but not to know the results of them? Or for your partner to know the results of them but not you because you think it might sort of hinder your progress like mentally? Is that something that you feel really passionate about or is that something that you are like, mm, I don't really know, How can I see how I feel on the day? Yeah, I think there's one of the things that you tend to find quite tricky if you're having your first baby is that kind of, well, I've not gone through labour before, I don't know what it's going to feel like and we, I don't know, you know, how I'm going to kind of, not. I don't want to use the word cope, but how I'm going to experience it. And we kind of touch on that with, pain relief options and not really knowing until the day what's gonna feel right for you but I think if you know what the options are um you can kind of think well I know myself I think this is going to be right for me but I'm open to x y and z happening should it be indicated on the day another thing that we kind of think about is generally having an idea of like the environment that you want to be in and Mm -hmm. We talked about place of birth before and and kind of choosing whether you want to be at home or the midwifery-led unit or on the kind of labour ward. But I think within that, even if things happen on the day that mean that the place of birth might need to change due to whatever's happening with you and the baby, um, you can kind of take that birth environment to, to any of those places. And so that might be helpful to think about when you're like packing your birth bag of like what to take with you which leads us on to the birth bag the hospital bag apparently we should have it packed by now potentially should we because i haven't (laughs) well yeah it's always this thing you get to 36 weeks and the midwife says have you packed your birth bag and (laughs) yeah i think a lot of people maybe haven't quite got to that stage yet or someone has already had it packed at like 28 weeks but i think it's good to have it kind of in your mind what you want to take with you and and maybe we can run through some of those things that would be great because I mean I know that there I've got my own personal opinions about what should be in a birth bag but I don't know if they're necessarily essentials I remember on the first birth that I had I brought now that I think about it I think it was slightly mad and most of it was snacks um but but it was a wheelie like a full-sized wheelie bag (laughs) like the type that you take (laughs) down like to the market (laughs) the hard case that you'd go on like a long haul flight you're going somewhere for a month that is how big my bag was my husband (laughs) thought I was mad and now in retrospect I did enjoy it because I kind of leaned over it for a while in some of the really hard (laughs) hardcore contractions and then vomited on it and it was white proof so that was fabulous but it was packed to the rim with horrendous snacks so you tell me what you think and then I'll tell you what I think um is essential you go ahead what should somebody have in their birth bag so with the birth bag I think you can kind of divide it into things for you and things for the baby Mm -hmm. And something that one of my kind of good friends who's a midwife always 
when we do classes together, she always tells the birth partners that they should pack the bag because basically if, if you get everything ready and then your partner puts it in the bag, they'll know where all the things are because often they open the bag and the, and whoever's given birth is on the bed saying, can you pass yeah. me the nappies? And they're throwing like everything out the bag trying oh, to find where the point. nappies are. <laughs> So that's the first point. So things for you, I think, kind of comfy clothes. So a few like changes of like nice comfy clothes or PJs. Um, in hospital, if you're having a baby there, they will offer you a gown um, if you want to be in that in labour. But it might be nicer to be in your own clothes, like a big comfy T-shirt or something, something that smells of home that you feel kind of more comfortable in. Um, and then also having nice a nice clean set for after you've given birth um bringing things like toiletries slippers some nice thick maternity pads um a note on maternity pads it's good to get like the actual maternity pads rather than like a period pad like always or something because they have weird absorbent crystals in and also <laughs> i mean yeah i always loved the tenor lady incontinence packs like the bigger the better there's a lot of fluid that yeah. comes out post baby that i never thought would carry on going out for about six weeks after so yeah, exactly definitely pack the incontinence pads. bring the pads some people like to wear the uh disposable adult nappy versions like you said, snacks are really good having a, a nice range of snacks um you might be lucky that the where the hospital we're giving birth at does have like a shop where you can buy things but lots of them aren't open at night and things so it's good to take those with you and um also taking kind of isotonic drinks or like energy drinks or coconut water or things that you can drink during labor other than water that can help keep your energy up um, and I always say to bring a pillow like an extra pillow from home that kind of reminds you of home has a nice homey smell to it compared to the hospital and uh try to put it in a brightly colored pillowcase so it doesn't get nabbed and used as a extra nhs pillow <laughs> yeah i was just going to say on the pillow a lot of hospitals near me have said no to pillows during covid so totally take your own pillowcase ah um if you can yeah it's one of those like crazy covid that laws. is crazy so it might be worth thinking about other things to put in your birth bag that are things to help you during labour so if you are thinking about using aromatherapy oils thinking about flannels and then plastic bags to put them in um, things like warm socks um, always useful during labour um, if you're wanting to go in the birth pool some people do want to just be naked in the birth pool but other people want to wear a bikini top for some of it and if so you might want to get one that's really easy to take off not a really fiddly class so that you can facilitate like taking it off if you want to then breastfeed in the pool or um, sort of afterwards um, and big towels so that you are sort of you can have a shower or a bath really comfortably and not use those little NHS towels for baby um, otherwise like a handheld fan can be really really useful or like a uh, you can get sprays of water for your face if you're feeling quite like warm during labour um, and lots of plastic bags not very eco-friendly but really useful for when you have like dirty clothes or dirty towels to be able to bung them in um and just then put them in your bag to take home. Do you have any other ones? I have slightly more fun ones than you girls. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. We're highly practical as midwives. I'm hoping... I do have some fun ones, but they're like at the end of the list. <laughs> yeah. Music player. 
<laughs> oh, oh my God. Essential. You know what? A friend of mine sent this to me when I was doing my first birth. And it was this one, a mother of all lists, which is Clemmie Telford, who's brilliant. And this, you know, this is years old now, but I've just looked at it again and it's still relevant. So I'm going to just put out a few. Lip balm, gas and air dries your lips out like a bitch. Flip flops of the shower. I won't go into the details. Chargers, laptop chargers, phone chargers, because you don't know how long you're maybe going to be in there for. Outfit for labour. I love the idea of this. Nine times out of 10, you'll end up in your birthday soup. So you probably won't need the clothes. Also, you said lots of bottles of water, um, lactulose. Let's talk about that post baby poo, shall we? Yeah, where do you want to start? <laughs> I mean, I I just, I guess I feel like it is an important thing to acknowledge that it's going to take your breath away. And so anything that you can have to ease that along after you've just given birth can be fabulous. So that, yeah, I mean... That poo, you're not allowed to leave, are you, at the hospital until you do a poo? Is that uh, is that a lie or not? Oh, no, you can now. Oh, is the baby has to do a poo? Yeah, yeah, the baby has to do wheeze and poos before you go home. I mean, I think, I have often think about this because we talk about constipation after C-section, but even after a vaginal birth, women have, you know, really find that first poo is a real big kind of mountain to to climb and I think also we haven't really talked about this yet but usually you open your bowels during labour quite a lot um, and I don't know if that's why it then is like a few days before you do a poo after the baby because you've like really cleaned out your system in in the course of the labour. It's an interesting one that isn't it because it's kind of it may be down to adrenaline or just that your body is so bloody clever it will kind of clear everything out so that pushing a baby potentially out your vagina is slightly easier. It's kind of like a purge, isn't it? It's really interesting. Mm. Now, onto the baby, bring a few outfits, right? Because babies, that meconium poo is a bugger for staining. So I'd say, what, you bring a pack of nappies, a few sleep suits, a few vests, a hat, and the car seat. Yeah, although I do tend to say with the car seat, it doesn't have to come with you in labour. You can always go back and get it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, those meconium poos are a bit of a bugger to clean off, so don't put them in the the best outfit they've ever been in their life if you don't <laughs> expect that stain to... I mean, just accept that those stains are going to be a bugger to get out. That's my tiny tip to you. <laughs> I'd say on the on the clothes as well, I, I think it's really sensible to have like a range of sizes, like newborn 0 to 1, 0 to 3, because... We don't know what size baby's going to be, really, even if you've had lots of scans. And um, it's useful to put them in like Ziploc bags and mark them with the size that they are and put in there that like vest, baby grow and a hat um, and have it all together. And I think it's really handy then for partners because they can just grab it. And you're not sort of dropping a hat on the floor. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I've never thought about that, actually. And yeah, I mean, can we quickly talk about the size of the baby? Because I guess 36 weeks, you're going to have not only a midwife appointment, but you're also going to go for potentially, if your hospital offers it, a 36-week scan, which is going to focus on, well, it's going to check that baby's in an optimal position, hopefully head down, but also the sizing. They kind of get a rough estimate. Now, you know, you can come out of that either being freaked out that they say your baby's a bit small on the small side, or you can get freaked out that your baby's massive and you're not going to be able to potentially push it out. But can we talk about the myth of the size of a baby at 36 weeks, but also 
that in relation to if you are going to be pushing it out, how much that actually affects whether if you're pushing out a seven pounder, a five pounder or a nine pounder, a 10 pounder. Is this an impossible question to ask? I think the important thing to say is that your body will nearly always grow a baby that is the right size for you because nature just wouldn't really, you know, wouldn't work if we were growing babies that were the wrong size to kind of easily come out of us. And actually, I think there's lots of anxiety around big babies, but Mm. generally speaking, over 10% of babies born in the UK will weigh more than four kilos, which is about £8.13 ounces. And I think if you're healthy, healthy people, healthy women grow healthy babies. So I think that's my kind of caveat to begin with. The other thing with scans, um, and actually not everyone will have a scan at 36 weeks. It's not offered kind of routinely. But in terms of scans, they are notoriously inaccurate at that stage of pregnancy in terms of estimating a baby's size. So they can be 10 to 20% inaccurate and that can be either way so they might overestimate the size of your baby and they might underestimate so I would say generally speaking if you've been told that your baby is larger than average in the absence of gestational diabetes that shouldn't really be something that you're worrying about it's likely that your baby is you know a healthy size Um, we probably worry a bit more about small babies wouldn't you say Sophie definitely in terms of if they're much smaller than we would expect especially if their growth has tailed off a little bit from one of the earlier scans um because when you see your midwife they generally measure your bump and if you're kind of smaller or larger than they would expect for however many weeks you are then then that might might be when you're offered a scan And if we have a baby that's smaller than average, it's not necessarily a problem, but we need to kind of closely monitor them because it might be that there are other things going on. For example, if the percent is not working, um, like functioning as well as it as it should be. I think something else to say, though, about big babies as, as well, that I think everyone looks at their baby in the first few days and goes, how the hell did that head fit out of my vagina? But babies' heads are meant to go through the birth canal. Um, We've all seen that kind of cone head shaped baby photo and it is because they are they are meant to sort of change shape so that they can go through the birth canal. I think, yeah, you look at your baby's head and go like, oh, the hell? (laughs) Yeah, they're very clever babies, aren't they? And the body is very, very clever with how it works in in labour. So what else do we need to be thinking about at this stage for planning for the actual birth? I think it's a good time to start thinking about other options during your labour, such as how are they going to monitor baby's heartbeat? So are they going to offer you continuous monitoring or are they going to be listening in to baby's heart rate with a sonic aid like you'll have had at your midwifery appointments, which is sort of every 15 minutes during labour and then sort of every five minutes nearer the end? And what kind of monitoring for baby's heart rate you're happy with? Are you happy with those options? Do you want the midwife sort of checking every time that that's okay or do you sort of want to communicate with that with her at the beginning of the labour um so that you can really get into your sort of birth zone um I think it's also really important to start thinking about what language particularly if you're hypnobirthing like what language Mm. you want them to use is there any are there any words that you don't want them to use 
and sort of express that really clearly on your birth preferences. Sophie said something really interesting to me earlier about how often with hypnobirthing we replace the word contraction with surge or wave but that actually at the moment the, those words have equally bad connotations COVID. because they remind us of covid yes and i yeah. thought that's such a good point a like all clients. these wa- like the third <laughs> wave and like surge of infections and it's like oh no that's equally stressful so what could we call it a gust of energy i don't know have you thought of any new word that you can come up with no I've, i in my experience recently i've had more clients saying actually i'd prefer to stick with contractions and i've been like okay whatever works it's all about the associations in your mind so if you you know whatever floats your boat yeah but also you know when it comes to language like how how do you want the midwife to communicate with you i know it can and not all midwives like love being sort of told how to do our job in some ways but um mm-hmm. do you want the midwife to be like really hands-on and like really encouraging you do you want her just to leave you to get into your own zone do you um want her to offer you pain relief or do, actually do you want to wait and ask for it if you want it because for some people you know if someone said to me like oh like do you want an epidural or like I'd immediately be like god I thought I was doing all right but actually from the outside do I look like I want pain relief like I actually and it makes you doubt Mm. yourself so I think it's really thinking about how you respond as an individual yeah you know yourself best um and how you might respond during labor to all these different things now you know what now that you just brought that up Sophie I, I had a birth plan on my first birth and I think I'd gone like uber natural like I you know I'd gone like full mm-hmm. hypnobirthing kind of you know didn't want any intrusions or like invasive kind of not that I, you know I, I know that midwives do whatever they need to do and it's very respectful and I'd said I didn't want an epidural and I definitely asked for an epidural and my husband said you don't want the epidural because you put it on your birth plan and that's when I wanted to burn the birth plan and I didn't get an epidural because he said you don't want the epidural and I said you don't know what I want because you're not here doing this right now and actually they gave me an offering of diamorphine which actually wasn't on my birth plan I think actually it was kind of an alternative that they had instead of pethidine um, that was, you know, a relief uh, and sent me somewhere far away for a little while, which was helpful. But I don't know whether I want to thank my husband for the fact that I didn't get an epidural because, yeah, I did deliver her, you know, a few hours later and all that. But equally, <laughs> I kind of I felt like he went so by the birth plan. I was slightly resentful towards him about that. So can things be changed? Yeah. Do you feel like you have to, like, are you speaking to the partner or because, you know, women and birthing people can be in a different zone. So sometimes they're not able to be that communicative to make those decisions because they are focusing on the job in hand. So is that when you will refer to the birthing partner and be like, what do you think we should do right now? They look like they maybe need a le- little extra help on their birth plan. It doesn't say that. Would you, I mean, how would you kind of deal with that scenario? I mean, I think it's, I think that's one of the hardest situations during labour for a birth partner, to be honest, when they have to be like, oh, but this was, this was your plan. And some people do have a conversation ahead of that being like, if I ask three times for an epidural, 
then I want you to get an anaesthetist in or you know it's having that discussion beforehand but I think there's loads of room for flexibility in your birth preferences like absolutely on the day you beforehand you might have prepped for loads of massage and aromatherapy and things like that and on the day you might be like do not touch me like we 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 know our bodies to a certain extent but like in labor it might just feel different and that's absolutely fine and I think also it's having that flexibility of I encourage my clients to think about if they are having an induction of labor maybe their preferences might be slightly different um, to if they'd gone into spontaneous mm. labour and what like pain relief options they would be slightly more open to if they were sort of having the sisters living and like what that might entail and prepare you for that um, not just sort of like what I might want during labour yeah I think it's also about not seeing it as like a script or something that yeah. has to kind of happen on the day it's 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 very much mm. about how you envisage things going knowing that things might change and in those instances you know what other options might be explored and nothing set in stone and and I think it's also removing any guilt from kind of changing your mind on the day as well like that's totally okay and Mm. it's your birth and it's your body and there's no kind of there's no problem and no one else minds you know as long as you're making decisions that are right for you that's the most important thing no you know one of my um other friends always says you don't get like a gold medal at the end for not having you know the epidural or whatever Mm -hmm. it is it's it's really not about that um it's just about making sure that that you kind of feel comfortable with the decisions you're making and you have the information you need to make them and if you know you're going to have an induction, um, how can you plan for that? What do you need to think about? So if you know you're planning an induction, it might be worth thinking in advance about what your pain relief options are. And it might be worth investigating what the hospital policy is where you're planning on giving birth on using the pool, for example, like water birth during induction of labour. Um, hospitals really differ with that. Whether if you have only had like the first portion of induction of labour process whether you can still get to the birth centre for example just you know what to expect and what you can ask for they will be offering sort of more close monitoring of your baby's heart rate so it might be worth thinking or asking the questions about whether they have telemetry the sort of wireless monitoring of baby's heart rate so that you can be slightly more active so that you can be bouncing on a birth ball thinking about being really sort of upright forward leaning um, and helping make the labour sort of as comfortable as possible and help with sort of positioning of baby. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Would you think that it would be essential, to go back to the baby and what's packed for the baby, I remember my friend suggesting that I had some pre-packed formula bottles just in case I wasn't going to get on with breastfeeding swimmingly do you think that's essential I know that obviously you know you're encouraged to breastfeed but is that kind of is that something that you would suggest to have or is that an option in hospital that you can you know if the baby isn't feeding and you feel like the baby needs to feed you have formula there for the baby so all postnatal wards will have formula so I always encourage parents to not take in formula if you're planning on breastfeeding only take it in if you're planning on formula feeding because also okay I would be encouraging someone to think about hand expressing colostrum and things like that and there are other options to sort of consider as well so it's it should then be sort of a conversation with your midwife and going through your options with feeding and then they might go okay yeah for this reason like we'd advise you topping up a formula and they can provide that um definitely okay. rather than taking it thank you and i guess also another thing to say is a change of clothes for the partner definitely because we kind of forget about them because they, you know, they may be doing a lot of hard work and they may not sleep for a while and they may just like a new pair of pants and a nice fresh T-shirt. Yeah, I think there are like some key things as well in that you've kind of got the time before birth to think about and then once your baby's born, there's also then some other choices to make. So like you talked earlier about skin to skin, Jesse, and having kind of once baby's arrived, having that time the two of you there's actually a bit of a phenomenon called the birth pause which I don't know if you kind of ever experienced in your births where um it's kind of those first moments where you're exploring your new baby and um kind of meeting your baby and it sometimes in our kind of maternity units babies are born and they're immediately like plonked onto the mum's chest and it's it can be quite overwhelming suddenly having this baby just arrive on you and sometimes Mm. people prefer to kind of have bring their baby up to themselves and take time to kind of explore in the the moments after birth um there's also the talk about placenta delivery uh that i guess you kind of it it becomes a bit of an afterthought because you just focus on getting the baby out but you then do have to deliver a placenta too Can we talk a bit about that and the options that you may be offered? Yeah, definitely. So you've got the option of doing it sort of physiologically. So um, what would happen is as your 
placenta starts to detach from the wall of your uterus. Your uterus will start to contract down and you're going to feel like little cramps. Might feel the urge to push again. And then you essentially push your placenta out, like you pushed your baby out. Um, otherwise, if you have had an induction or you um, have any sort of like risk factors that might have stretched your uterus, if so, if someone had twins, if someone had um, lots of excess fluid, if someone had a very large baby, um, or if you had an assisted birth, anything where there's a slight increased risk of bleeding heavily after birth, then you might be offered an injection um, which speeds up the delivery of the placenta. It's like the same kind of drug that we use for induction to provide contractions, but it causes your uterus to contract and your placenta to be born, and then the midwife sort of gently helps the placenta to be born. Delivering your placenta is much easier than delivering your baby because the placenta is kind of like a squishy mm-hmm. organ. Um, there's no kind of hard bits of a placenta. It's all squishy. Think about like a really massive steak. Yeah, like a big chicken fillet or something coming out. Um, so it's often a huge relief actually for, for people once that's finally come out. And actually in terms of before that happens as well you've got some kind of decisions to make around your baby's cord as well um so we talk about it's quite common now to be talking about optimal cord clamping um and that's where once your baby is born and hopefully you're having some nice skin to skin they'll still be attached to their cord and um they'll still be receiving blood from the placenta through the cord And what we know, we used to, you know, fairly, quite a long time ago now, we have been doing this new practice for quite some years, but it used to be that people would cut the cord straight away and actually then the baby doesn't get the full volume of blood that they kind of should have within their system. So generally speaking, what's kind of promoted now is allowing the blood to keep pulsating through the cord to the baby um, for a few minutes and choosing when to clamp the cord after birth. Um, so we know most of the blood will kind of transfer within five minutes, but it might be that you want to wait until you can see that the cord has gone kind of completely white and then you know all the blood has gone to the baby. Mm-hmm. And can we talk about what to do with the umbilical cord and the placenta once it's out of you? Because there are quite a few options. Yeah, so you can do what you want with it, really. It's your your organ, you grew it. Um, but you could keep baby and the placenta attached, like a lotus birth, until they it sort of naturally separates. Or you could, with your placenta, you can have it made into uh, pills, essentially, like encapsulation. Um, which is all the anecdotal evidence says it reduces the risk of postnatal depression, or you can bung it in a smoothie, or which Sophie my, did. <laughs> Sophie's personal favourite. Did you? <laughs> my favourite recipe. Um, yeah, it was it was fine. Uh, tasted a bit iron like. It was a little bit metallic, but uh, it was yeah, it was it was fine. I think it definitely helped. Really. Yeah, I planted mine in the back garden because oh, wow. I think it's apparently very good for Fertilizer. very good for soil. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because I've left that house now, so I'd like to know how the rose bush is doing actually. <laughs> but I guess there's lots of different things, and also with umbilical, you can you can donate. Do they want placentas or do they want umbilical cords more for stem cells? So, for stem cell research, it's to do with the blood in the cord. 
Um, the actual umbilical cord itself is sometimes used in like training for uh, like neonatal doctors and midwives to practice how to put what are called umbilical vein catheters in when we need to give babies treatment. So sometimes people donate their cords for that. I don't know about placentas. I mean, there might be various research studies in where you're giving birth and they might ask if you want to donate your placenta and cord. Um, and of course, if you don't want to do any of those lovely, fantastic things with them, you can just give it to the midwife and she'll pop it in a clinical waste. So you don't have to do any of these things with it. It can just be disposed of. Or you might want to just see it. Yeah. You might just want to also yeah. see it and have the midwife... Uh, sort of open it up and explain where your baby was and some people actually they don't feel great at that stage but they would like a picture of it um I have clients who are just really happy that they've got a picture of their placenta they can look back on and go like oh look that was my placenta and actually look at it later when they're you know feeling able to or want to it is totally amazing when you see it Mm. that your body just completely grew that I mean as well as the baby obviously but (laughs) (laughs) no yeah and Yes, I mean, I'm saying it's like a bloody steak, but no, it is remarkable. And it and, and we, we must give thanks to the placenta. We must. But um, yeah, you can do lots of different things. What goes well in a placenta smoothie, Sophie? I had strawberries, raspberries, blueberries. I think that was it. I might put mango in one of them because I had the one every day for about a week. Um, and I just put like a big chunk per day of the placenta in. I actually have a little bit of the placenta still in my freezer it's terrible and the cord just because I haven't got around to doing anything with it and my son is three and a half um it's in there next to like the fish fingers it's pretty (laughs) pretty grim I guess that's brilliant don't go defrosting that (laughs) oh yeah god I hope you yeah I hope your fridge and freezer doesn't defrost god imagine um so 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 some people may have that scan and the baby may be breech or traverse, which means they're kind of side on. Is that, am I right about that? Transverse, yeah. Transverse, sorry. Now these could be potential some of the reasons you may be suggested or offered a C section, amongst other things, right? Yeah, totally. Or there might be some reasons during labour. Yes, of course, an emergency C section. Yeah. So if you knew you were anticipating a C section, what are the kind of things that you would ask for on your birth plan? So when you're planning a cesarean, so you've kind of got a little bit more time to think about it, you could research the benefits of a gentle cesarean where baby's born slightly more slowly. So it mimics how they're squeezed through the birth canal and hopefully getting out some more of the fluid from their lungs as they're being born. Um, you might want music playing that often features in like the really positive elective cesarean birth stories um because it kind of makes that theater environment feel a little bit more like yours and obviously a hospital theater is you know smells like a hospital mm. you might want a rollerball of aromatherapy like lavender or something on your wrist or something mm. to smell or like a drop of peppermint on a tissue to smell in case you feel a little bit sick you might want to discuss with your birth partner what their role is so do they want immediate skin to skin if you're not feeling quite up to it or do you want immediate skin to skin? Do you want baby immediately on you? Or do you want them to sort of check baby and put a nappy on or things before you have skin to skin? Another option is if you can't really... It's difficult to facilitate sort of full optimal cord clamping for around five minutes because obviously it's major abdominal surgery. So some people are requesting that baby is put on mum's legs um, just for like a minute and the gravity helps as much of the blood as possible go to baby 
Um, some people are opting to have like the placenta in a tub or a bucket, like still connected to baby, but me and Izzy were talking about how this is a little bit controversial. Um, so yeah, there's lots of, lots of options. Wow. Yeah. And also there are some incredible photos that if you're having a C-section, those pictures that I feel like you don't get the same way when you have a vaginal Mm. birth that those, yeah, I don't know, maybe ask who's the best photographer in the room and who's happy to take a photo because those photos are the most amazing aren't they yeah (laughs) yeah and you might want to see baby be born Mm. you might want to drop the drapes and see baby be born you could take the photos yourself is that an option yeah totally or some people have clear drapes or but yeah dropping the drapes and when you know if you're a really squeamish person you might not want those drapes dropped yeah yeah. um, until baby's like properly out of the way however for some people um, they really want to see everything. I mean, in America, in some hospitals, they're actually doing maternal-assisted cesareans where the mum sort of has very clean arms, obviously, and helps baby out, which is a little bit more out there. Wow, there's there's much to digest in this episode, and hopefully that has helped people think about what they fancy. You know, it's real pref- it's preference, isn't it? And um, and to write it down. But I and even to just if this helps you bring up some of these suggestions with your midwife to confirm it or park it um this week um now sophie we've talked about the birth plan but can we talk about some of the postnatal planning that you think is really really valuable yeah definitely so i think a postnatal plan is almost equally important to a birth plan or birth preferences to be honest so it's really thinking hard and having those discussions with your birth partner or your partner and your close family members about how you're going to rest and recuperate in the first few weeks after having a baby, um, potentially right up to the end of the fourth trimester, so the first 12 weeks. So you're thinking about how are you going to prioritise rest? How are you going to look after yourself? What can you put into place now? So if friends and family want to buy you presents, they could buy you nice like vouchers for like cook meals or whatever, or bring you around meals. Are you going to think about having a postnatal doula? Can you in advance think about who else is going to do the school runs? Um, or the nursery runs how are you going to prioritize bonding and time with this baby rest especially if you're feeding a lot at night um how are you going to basically look after yourself and recover that's what a postnatal plan is thinking about how are you going to like create this nest at home this nice like oxytocin rich nest because we think a lot about oxytocin during birth but we kind of forget about it postnatally and just yeah how are you going to like prioritize yourself essentially yeah because I think sometimes it all goes out the window because you have this tiny human that you've just grown for a very long time and that's your focus but really the parents are have to be rested enough well fed enough calm kind of content to be able to happy mum happy baby happy parent happy baby yeah totally also thinking about your support network like who is around you who and if you are having any issues with feeding are you aware of who is local to you what helplines you would ring who what lactation consultants you would be accessing or breastfeeding clinics are you aware of like the local sling library are you planning on using a stretchy sling particularly if it's like second or third baby thinking about how you're going to still live your life and do everything but also rest and recover with baby who would be the person that you would suggest to talk to for those numbers the lactation consultant the breastfeeding clinic down the road would that be your midwife or the healthcare visitor 
Yeah, your midwife or health visitor might be good places to start, to be honest. Um, you might also want to look up your local like La Leche League for planning on breastfeeding. They're usually pretty good. Um, and some of them are actually doing really great free like breastfeeding courses. But yeah, your midwife should be able to help postnatally. And they should also be giving you, um, I know not all trusts do it, but they should be giving you like a list of everywhere you can access support when you have one of your first home visits. Thank you, Izzy and Sophie. That was so helpful. I hope that's helped you guys that are listening um, just to give you options of how you want to consider how you would like your birth to go. Whether you go and write that down on paper, I think they, they suggest that you do. And that helps you kind of digest what you want out of your birth. Or even if you have a really good conversation with your birth partner and so they feel like they are equipped. I do think sometimes writing it down is good. Maybe I should go and write down mine now. Thank you for listening. I hope you're all okay. I hope this has helped you a little bit. And take care and we'll see you for the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com